0: All right, folks, uh, who've been like, watching opening night of the NBA, it's always exciting. Opening night of the NBA season, uh, with the with the free throw fest we're having, is always a you know riveting first game day experience. This is Colin Shots. Uh, I'm Seth Partnow. Now, uh, this is sort of a... a uh, I was telling I was telling my guest uh, before we started. This is this could be known as the preaching to the choir episode uh, from Inpredict Mike Bowie uh, is joining me uh, with all the talk that's it started in football this year, but it kind of permeates a lot of sports. And uh, it's also topical with uh, Ryan O'Hanlon, who I had on last week, his book, Net Gains, coming out today, Um, you know, all the talk about XG in soccer and and what it does and doesn't represent. Um, Are you as as sort of almost disheartened as I am by the discussion around, um, I guess, models being in the same place it seems to have been for who knows how many years?
1: I'm um, sort of I, I also say I'm probably just getting used to it now. And, you know, it, it just feels like at times it just feels like it's a target that, you know, people just want to get people want something to get angry about. And sometimes the, the models, the analytics just make a convenient target, whether it's the right target or not. So it, it is disheartening. But I mean, I think we've still seen progress, I think, particularly in the NFL the discourse is one thing, but the actual adoption and, you know, how teams are kind of pivoting on fourth down, you know, there is real progress there. So it's disheartening that we have the same arguments in a lot of ways that we've had 10 years ago, but, um, there is some progress being made.
0: No, that's fair. I mean, it's, it's the, the proof is in the pudding and maybe the, uh, maybe the, the public side will catch up, which would in, in many ways, I, I almost be the reverse of how it's been in some other sports where, um, uh, maybe it's the, the the paucity of data in in football, but uh, it seems like there was a lot more uh, in in sort of sports like like basketball and, and hockey. And it was probably before my time, but presumably baseball. There's a lot of public work done that then got snaffled up into teams and disappeared.
1: Yeah, I think the the analytic challenges for football are kind of order and magnitude higher. I think on, the, on a lot of different sports. Um, but what what has always puzzled me, though, is the the analytics recommendations on the NFL side, I think almost unambiguously kind of make the game better. Um, Assuming you like normal football and you don't like field goals and extra points and punts. So that's always puzzled me a bit is, you know, the, I guess, reluctance on the NFL side for a strategy that adds more drama, makes the game more exciting and and creates more kind of normal football, so to speak, as opposed to the the punts and the field goals that, that teams have been inclined to to take instead of going for it on fourth down, for example.
0: Sure. So let's, let's talk more specifically about kind of some of the pushback. Um, a lot of what we see is, is what I have like to term the appeal to complexity. It's, you can't account for this. You can't account for that. Therefore, how can you know that X, Y, and Z is going to happen? Um, in your day job, you work as an actuary in, in the healthcare field. So I think you are, uh, almost uniquely positioned to describe exactly how easy it is to account for things in sports. Uh, what even as a sport as difficult as, as, uh, as football might be as compared to, you know, quote unquote, real life. Yeah. Yeah. As,
1: as complex as the NFL or any sport can be, I, I can guarantee the U um, S healthcare system is many orders of magnitude, far more complex, messy, and, Hard to make sense of, but, um, you know, what I do in my job, you know, what, what our team does is, you know, try to make sense of that with models, with data. Um, but, you know, I think what what's important in my day job as well as just what's important, you know, in, in the sports analytics space, and, and other people have made this point too, is like really being clear on what the model does account for and what it doesn't. Because I think that's that's where analytics can be a starting point, as opposed to just, well, the model says to do this, end of discussion. Um, that, that really shouldn't be the case in analytics. It shouldn't be the case in, you know, the work I do during the day. Like, our job is not just to run a model and spit out a number. Our job is to use that as a starting point and then use our judgment, use what we know is not in the model to make a more informed assessment of, of you know, what's going to happen, what should you do? So it's like you you want to know what's in the recipe. um, And then from there, you can season to taste, but, but you just don't throw out the recipe just because it doesn't have your favorite ingredient in there. Um, You you want to start with, you know, a data-based approach and then understanding what that doesn't account for. Then you can, that's where the judgment comes in. That's where, you know, how the game's going. Um, But it doesn't make sense just because it doesn't factor in every conceivable Complex, meaningful or meaningful, not variable that the model's useless
0: so can you give it give uh, and obviously you have you, you probably have to be somewhat circumspect, but an example of because uh, it seems like the the hard, uh, the hard part is people struggle with well, I have this numerical data, and then there's this other data, which is scouting data or whatever else it might be but in in sort of a, a, a medical setting almost what's an example of something all right we have data on this and we have more if you want to call it observational or anecdotal or whatever. Um, Also, can you is there? Is there a process you can describe by which those are are synthesized?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is a challenge, I think, you know, every uh, health insurance actuaries faced with over the past few years is just what the, the COVID pandemic has done to normal patterns of care and what you'd expect to happen. And so you know, the the standard joke about actuaries is that they drive by looking in the rearview mirror and telling you what happened. Um, and you know, that, that is our starting point is like, we can only look at the past as to form our initial evaluations, but obviously anything prior to 2020 is not calibrated to the new reality we're in, but we can still start there. You know, that's what we've had to do in, in a lot of cases is understand, you know, what has happened, understand what's different now, and sometimes you can build models for that. And sometimes, you know, it's going to be judgment. It's going to, you know, reading the tea leaves or understanding, you know, how people are forecasting, will there be a winter surge? You know, Are people gonna get their vaccines? So, you know, all these different considerations that you probably don't have and probably couldn't even build a model for because it's just gonna spit out what you tell it. But if you kind of know what's in your model to begin with, know what it doesn't account for, then that's when you layer on all the judgment calls, and you know that that is can and should be, you know, multifaceted. You should be talking to a lot of different people. You should be talking to your peers. You should be talking to people that that know have business, um, business subject knowledge. You know, whether that's uh, medical doctors, epidemiologists, um, and the same on the sports side. You know, talking to coaches, talking to scouts. Um, there's value to be added there. it's just you need to know what the model has told you and what the, the, you know, the more qualitative things are telling you and how to put those two together.
0: How did bubble basketball differ from, <laughs> you know, normal NBA play? I mean, I think that's a, that's one of the, the more recent sort of quandaries in that area uh, in, in NBA analysis. I think, I mean, you, you, you know, if we had played a full season in, in the bubble, maybe we have enough to make some categorical statements, but we had ninety. Or so games, half of which were playoffs, uh, among you know only the, the top two thirds of teams in the league. And so, what was different about that? I, I, you know, we can, we can, we can start with by running some numbers, and then it's like, okay, does that make sense that, that there is actually an impact there of of the environment, or is that just sort of a some small sample size weirdness?
1: Yeah, yeah, like you know, I think. And I'm probably not as up to speed in terms of like what was really different than the bubble side. But I think I recall seeing that you know like shooting accuracy improved, and you know that's to your point. It's something that you know there's probably a a reasonable explanation for that in terms of the lack of distractions and how that could you know potentially help shooters um, when they're taking shots. And so yeah, I, I think that's a great example of it's not just like you know pulling data like categorizing and saying which p-value is the lowest, you, you've got to have a, a narrative behind it, particularly when you're dealing with small sample sizes, because you can get fooled pretty easily.
0: So, and the challenge, and this is something we've talked about before, you do, you've done a lot of kind of win probability modeling in multiple different sports. Um, how do you know when, because sample size is good. How do you know when sample size is, the, part of your sample is no longer operable? Like you could, you know, we have play-by-play data going back to 1996 in the NBA. Okay, you cut off the first couple of years because the, the quality is 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 maybe somewhat questionable. How much does a win probability, does the flow of a game that might lead to uh, um, discussion or, or, or predictions about win probability of a game in 2001 tell you about what all the play on the floor in 2022 looks like.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's something, yeah, you you really got to, I think, be disciplined about in terms of, you know, understanding what data you trained on versus what's changed. I think there's probably a bias to think that things change more than they do. Um, and that, you know, a 2001 game is completely meaningless to how it's played now. The game is definitely different now, but, you know, much of the game is still going to stay the same. Um, big leads are better than small leads for win probability um, if you're running out of time it's worse off to to be trailing than to to be winning obviously so um but you know as you kind of if you understand kind of how the game has changed, then that can help guide you know where your win probability model is going wrong like for example i'll fully admit my win probability model is probably overconfident right now in that when it says a team has an 80% chance of winning. The right number is probably lower than that now. Because uh, the model that I built was trained on the 2000s and um, early 2010s of the NBA. And pace was a lot slower, and three point rate was a lot lower. So there was less scoring, there was less volatility in scoring. And if you've got those, your leads are going to be safer. So um you know, that's an area where, you know, you can form a hypothesis based on kind of what you know, how the game has changed. And then from there, figure out you know where your model could be going wrong. And I've looked at this in kind of different ways, like a 15 point lead is demonstrably not as safe as it was um, 10 years ago. And you can kind of see that pretty clearly if you chart it that. Once uh, teams really start picking up the pace, once their three-point rate really starts shooting up, you see a corresponding increase in the amount of time that a team falls behind by 15 points or more that they actually come back to win.
0: What, uh, like, like, in terms of, you know, say, 15-point I, I, lead entering the fourth quarter is probably minuscule either way. Like, I don't know, ballpark, like 15-point lead at halftime. In 2010 versus and and you know ballpark because I, I I don't expect you to have the chart in front of you, but what's what's the what like what are we talking about? Was it like a 80 percent chance of winning in in 2010 and it's 70 percent now, or 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 kind of what size of change are we talking about? I think it's still, you know, on the order of a few percentage points,
1: so it's not going to be off by that much um, just because, you know, there's only so much, only so many possessions you can squeeze and only you can only play so fast. So I think based on what I saw, it's, you know, it's not moving, you know, huge amounts, but it's definitely, you
0: know, it's off and you know which direction it's off. And but as we get closer to the end of the game, it's probably it's probably still, you know, a one possession game is still a one possession game. Uh, you know, with, with 30 seconds left and you should, you should take the three. Um, but anyway, that's, yeah, no, that's, no, I'd agree with yeah, that. <laughs> that's, uh, um, you, you, you had mentioned, um, you know, in the NFL kind of seeing that the proof of decision making, um, are, have you looked at it enough to have to notice a change in, in terms of teams? Uh, you know, I, I as everyone knows, I'm a great lover of the quick two. Um, have, have teams adjusted away from that? Or is that is that sort of one of those myths that because it's sort of, you know, we're, we're dealing on a multi-possession level, it's kind of hard to exactly quantify that teams are still being overly status quo in terms of trying to, try to get an easy one.
1: I, I haven't actually taken a look at that to see if, like, the, the rate has changed. I, I do remember there was some high-profile example, and I can't remember if it's Jimmy Butler, but in some case where they took a three late in the game. Yeah, Yeah. end of
0: game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals last year where they were kind of coming down on a semi-fast break, down two, and he pulled up for three. And it was a a robust debate about whether it was a (laughs) a good shot or not.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's one thing is like, you know, whether it's a good shot based on the spot he was on the floor and, you know, what the, the situation is, but, you know, from just, you know, the um, accounting of, you know, how valuable a three is during normal game time versus at that point in the game, it is demonstrably more valuable to take a three then, than it is to take a three when you're down to midway in the fourth, in the first quarter. And so that should play into your decision-making that, you know, a three is, clearly more valuable in that in that situation because of the game situation because it gives you a lead without your opponent having a lot of time to to get the lead back so um but what i i don't know if that was a one-off or if teams are kind of realizing that you know they really do need to play a bit more aggressively in those situations and avoid losing slowly and maximize their win chances and you know that's uh that's a phenomenon that's a mindset that is definitely not unique to the nba and that's you know why nfl teams still you know, make bad decisions is they, they're afraid of, um, losing quickly, even though it's maximizing the win chances. And so they'll, they'll extend the game as opposed to maximizing win probability.
0: The the interesting thing about that is, is taking a slightly longer view, um, given how sort of important health is at the end of it, like, like as a determinant later in an NFL season, it almost seems like losing slower or losing more quickly would be, uh, would be would be uh, preferable, right? Uh, it's just like yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, well that okay, well well guess we're well, I guess we'll we'll uh, they'll kneel down now when we're done here. But we gave it we gave it our best shot and uh, and no one's gonna get hurt in this last three minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Every play, uh, you're rolling the dice, so to speak, in the NFL.
0: Um, I, and and really the, the the place where where this is the the, the scourge of this it, it like kind of comes up most is not necessarily in the play on the floor, but in the commentary or on the NCAA tournaments, the, in, in an environment where, you know, there's, there's a lot of the, the, the number of timeouts and the ability to advance the ball in the NBA um, makes, makes the, the, you know, calculating when you need what or the other thing much more complex in, you know, in, in a, the college game where you can't do those things, the, the desire to take a two down four in like an under 20 seconds is just, yeah. Anyway, that, 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 uh, it, it's, it's, it's a, because we get, you know, as many as, as 16 games a day, (laughs) many chances to hear the same wrong commentary. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess maybe the place to go is to stick with kind of the, uh, that, that example, of the Jimmy Butler shot, like, like, what are the things that, that you would suggest, you know, all right, the model, the, the model accounts, this, these things, what else should we consider?
1: Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the tricky part is like understanding what you really can model out versus when you've got like a good enough indicator. So like, Like, I've created a chart which just kind of shows, like, at any point in the game, like, how much more valuable a three is than a two. And you can kind of see, like, just on a page, you know, getting late in the game down two, you know, three becomes marginally more valuable than a two. And so I think if you arm coaches and players with that, then it's, you know it's just more about shifting the mindset. Like, you know, I should be looking more for a three here, but you know, you're not gonna build a model to say like, you know, based on this player configuration on the court that, you know, I should go for a three versus a two that's, you know, probably not practical. Um, So, I mean, you know, you know, there's potentially more um, variables you can throw at the model. Like, you know, in general, my model, it's pretty simple. It's, you know, how much time is left, what's the score and what was the, the pregame, Vegas expectation as to like how good these teams were and that's you know pretty much it you could you know get more sophisticated and you know bring in like all sorts of like team tendencies like you know do they shoot threes more do they do this more are they you know prone to turnovers and I'm sure that matters for win probability based on just kind of my own work on this it's pretty marginal in terms of like moving the needle so like that's kind of like the one of the key things anytime you're modeling something is kind of knowing when to stop when like the next variable you pull in, is going to create a lot more work, a lot more complexity, but for very little gains in accuracy.
0: And, and I would say in, in terms of actual use, um, like negative, because it's the more factors you ask someone to consider the, the impossibility of actually, you know, processing it all in the moment To I mean, I, I think in many cases, um, and, and this is probably why like the fourth down stuff is so frustrating is because the heuristics are pretty easy, relatively yeah. speaking, like the, like the, the, the number of, and the time you have to make the decision, like call timeout, you, it, Hey guys, what does the chart say here? And, you know, and, and, and that's, that, that's fairly straightforward. I think that in basketball, given both the number of things you have to think about and the, the time you have to make the decision, uh probably make it make it a little more difficult to add a bunch more stuff in cuz you're already you know at minimum you're considering time score timeouts the fouls to bonus right cuz those are mm-hmm. all things that sort of materially affect the the uh kind of the game state
1: yeah yeah and I think yeah I think just in general with NBA like what I found is um the, the strategic gains you get from understanding win probability, that there are some for sure, but um, it's just nowhere near the value it has on the NFL side, just due just to the nature of the game and just how decisions are made in the NFL and, and the nature of the, the four-down system. There's just a lot more decisions you have to make that are you know really informed by a win probability model, whereas with NBA, it's pretty straightforward. It's better to, to score points than to not score points, and <laughs> right. it's, uh, it doesn't get more complex than that oftentimes right
0: and in, in many of the cases where it does become a thing it's like well if you do this you have a five percent chance of winning as opposed to a two percent chance of winning so it's it's probably you're it's sort of the last gasp of having already lost the game in the first 47 minutes
1: exactly yeah like i've done some work on like when teams should start fouling at the end of the game and like i don't even think it crossed the threshold of a percentage point you know improving your chances and the cost there is that you know what I found is that teams should be fouling sooner, which um, does not improve the uh, the quality of the product <laughs> on the floor. So, right.
0: So it's so it's maybe and especially in regular season basketball, it's sort of. I, I I'm I'm sort of I I can get on board. I can get on board board with why bother. Yep. Yeah. Um. So let me see. Is it like. Can you, you, you've done modeling in a lot of different sports. Um, are there things that transfer from one to the other, or do you find, yourselves, you find yourself making mistakes based on carrying over an assumption from one sport that doesn't hold? Uh, that's a, that's a good question.
1: Yeah. I, I think the, the pitfall is always like, I mean, regardless, you know, even like the first win probability model I built, which is for the NBA, is you know you can follow all the best kind of modeling practices and you know cross-validate your parameters and you know be really disciplined and all that and you know clean your data, do all that. But what you've got to do is you know once you've built the model, then then you do kind of the the I guess for lack of a better term, the eye test um, of like, does this model make sense? Like, when I increase the lead, does my win probability increase? You know, when I decrease time at a given lead does my win probability increase? So, you know, that's where your knowledge of the sport comes in. Um, and, you know, it can get a lot more nuance, nuance than that. But that's, that's kind of why I found it as a pitfall is just because your, your data can lead you astray. Um, and, you know, if you don't have a good understanding of, like, you know, how the game is actually played and what what truly makes sense, you could end up with a, a pretty silly looking and, you know, probably in the long term, not very accurate model. So, yeah, I think it's always like, you know, after you kind of do all the, the hard data work, step back, what is this model telling you from like, you know, very simple understandable point of view. And does that make sense with, you know, how, you know, the game is played?
0: Sure. So I think along those lines, another, another thing that sort of come up this year and this started kind of, um, I remember it was week one of the NFL season. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was, was it the, was it the Chargers and Chiefs where where the Chiefs threw like a pick six on on the opposing one yard line, and after the game, I think Kevin Clark, uh, uh, Kevin Cole from PFF, like they the you know by adjusted score the the Chargers should have won by eleven, and people kind of lost their mind. Um, people got
1: really angry. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, from your standpoint, like what are those kind of whether it's expected goals, you know, shot quality, uh, adjusted scoring in football, what have you? What uh, like how would you how would you describe those those, those kind of efforts in a way that would um, hopefully blunt the the reasonably it's a reasonable you don't know, adjust the score they he threw the he threw the interception they scored the other end that's what happens uh, you don't get to say well actually we we, we theoretically won um, yeah. but what like how would you describe what those are doing and why that's important
1: yeah from my perspective I, mean, I think it's why it's important is is more about understanding or figuring out what will happen and you know what did that game tell you about you know the relative strength between the two teams and I, I think you know what what people are trying to do with you know things like those adjustments is, you know, there are things that matter a whole lot for the outcome of a game that are probably, you know, not repeatable or not like they don't have the same impact they have on like, you know, how likely a team is going to win like the next game or, you know, how many games they are going to win in a season. So like the, the pick six is an example. And I think you maybe why people kind of react strongly about it is like, that is still a skill like you you want a quarterback that's not gonna throw interceptions so you don't want to say that like well it's just all luck um but it is volatile um and you know teams are gonna get unlucky and you know not every interception is gonna lead to such a huge swing like that i I think that that type of play is like always like i think definitely for football but probably for any like sport like a goal line pick six interception is like probably the biggest you know, swing in a team's chances you can see aside from like, you know, like a Hail Mary or something like that, just because it's really flips, you know, your expectation of what, what is going to happen versus what happened. But I, I guess to to go back to your question, it's if you really want to figure out like what, you know, are the Chargers going to win tomorrow next week or, you know, how good these teams are, you'll you'll really get lost in terms of just, you know, focusing on solely what happened in that game and assuming that just because, team A beat team B, that team A is clearly the better team and will always beat team B. I think everybody kind of realizes that, but I think they kind of forget about it when, um, you know, these types of points are made that, you know, don't get too focused on that, you know, this one loss because it swung on a couple very high leverage plays that could have gone uh, a different way.
0: I mean, if he throws 40 passes, say, you know, being really, really, really like... You know, simplifying way too far. Say he's going to throw one horrible pick in the 40 passes he throws uh, in, in across the game. Um, the, going from the, 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 the one-yard line to score to a touchdown the other way is, a ma- is the most inor- inopportune time to do it. And it's almost like, okay, his, his skill level is such that he's going to do that once a game. But the fact that he did it then is okay, maybe maybe it's possible there's some like something about a player's makeup that, you know, in a big moment he yada yada yada. But more likely it's just like, okay, he has he has a deficiency that causes this to happen and it happened to pop up there. Okay. So of over the next, you know, two hundred passes he throws, he's gonna throw five picks and none of them are gonna be, you know, goal line one way to six points the other way. Yeah, yeah, and I think
1: it's, you know, there's a desire that there are no act to like build narratives where there are no accidents, like everything is happened for a reason and you know the reason he threw that pick six is because there is some quality that the quarterback lacks that is why they, you know, folded under pressure so to speak. So I, I think you know there's there's a desire to build narratives where everything makes sense and it's not um, you know, bad luck so to speak.
0: So what, you know, how would you advise people to use and not use those sort of those sort of things? Because I, I, you know, the line that 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 again, that 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 sort of seems like a Rubicon is, you know, whether talking about like deserves or should have or or things like that versus, you know, something more evaluative, like did we play well?
1: I, I like that framing a lot. Well, uh, a lot better. Yeah, uh, unless you want your mentions to be a dumpster fire, I think just uh, avoiding the like we, we should have won or you know we were the better team but we lost. I, I think isn't really helpful either. Um, and then from my perspective, it's just about like what happened happened, and that's fine. But what does that tell us about what's going to happen? And Maybe that's you know, too nuanced a point to make, but like that's, that's what I'm kind of always wondering is, you know, we, we can talk about what happened, but like, what does it tell us about what's gonna happen in the next game? I think those are the, the interesting questions and where um, that's where the narrative approach really goes, um, goes sideways because your, your narrative is gonna not really match what's gonna happen in the future. And so that that takes knowledge and discernment to know like what what really matters, like what are true indications of team skill
0: and maybe this is why it's it's particularly difficult in in football, given that the the, the you know that you don't play a lot of games in a season you know as Billy Dean famously said, "My shit doesn't work in the playoffs <laughs> um, so it's like what actually happened sort of matters more than than kind of was our process to get there good or not but It seems to me that that sort of um, I don't know so much. I I don't want to tell people how to fan, but sort of as an as someone who who is either by uh, choice or by profession uh, charged with analyzing, it seems like that's that, that that's a better place to start. than, well, the 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 ball bounced this way. Therefore, these character traits revealed themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, you know, there's obviously a market for people want to understand like what is going to happen and who can figure that out. So it's, that's, you know, that, that's where the, you know, that, that mindset has value of like, really figuring out what, what's signal versus what's noise.
0: And ultimately like, you know, across the season, we're, we're sort of, we're looking for progress. We're looking for, you know, whether it's, we're looking for progress and evaluation, like is, is is our quarterback good enough are we getting uh, is our defense good enough? are we getting good enough shots and you know it's you can given a long enough time frame i guess you could you could rely on you know ball go in or not but you'd kind of want to know those things sooner wouldn't you
1: yeah yeah i mean i guess it's the the same argument comes up a lot you know about just the, trusting the process not not the results so <laughs> but that can be that's easier said than done when it's uh um, you know your job on the line, so I, th- I think that's where the challenges come yeah. in.
0: And it's also, I mean that 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 sort of argument has sort of become a, a refuge of, uh, I don't want to say the incompetent, but the incorrect. So if you made a bad decision, you can always, well, the process was good. Give it time. It it does give cover for that as well. Yeah, you can.
1: Yeah, it's, it's something you can hide behind um, as well.
0: Yeah. Um. So I don't know. This has been like I this this is sort of like I said at the start. This has been preaching to the choir a little bit this has been a little therapeutic for me just kind of talking through <laughs> this stuff it, it, I don't know why it annoys me as much as it does but it does um, is there any anything else that you that, that you that you know you feel like has has been kicking around in your mind in, in sort of from these discussions
1: um you know I, I think you know just going back to like the 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 analytics discourse and football, I I think another thing that's, that's done really well, I think, you know, Ben Baldwin has a a bot that tweets out, um, fourth down decisions. And I think what's, you know, really important there is also like, it's never like a binary decision, and kind of it highlights like when it's, you know, here's what the model says you should do, you know, just by the numbers, but it highlights, you know, this is, you know, kind of a toss up, like it's, you know, the model is only so good. And, you know, it's probably not a bad decision either way. And then, you know, then it says, well, you know, if there's a bigger gap between like going forward and a field goal, it it highlights that. And that doesn't mean that the exact right decision is to just do what the model says, but usually start from that. And kind of figure out like, you know, I've got to have a good reason to deviate. Like why do I think my situation I'm in right now is different than the combined experience of NFL teams for the past 10 years. Um, And that's, that's a mindset you have to have. Um, So, you know, I I like that approach of like avoiding kind of just ultra binary um, proclamations as to like what the right decision is. Like nobody's got a perfect answer for this, but you can communicate, you know, how, how confident you are in a decision versus, you know, when it's close to a toss up. And I think that's, that's one thing that kind of surprised me this season too is like, there's been a lot of talk on fourth down conversions there's been a lot of talk on whether to go for a a two-point conversion or not and it's the the fourth down conversions are that's really where the opportunities are i i think people um and other people have made this point as well like on two-point conversions there's a right decision sometimes and clearly a right decision late in the game but um in most situations like the the difference between a right and a wrong decision is not going to move the needle that much. And so is is that really where you is that the hill you want to die on? Is that really want to, you know, battle about where um, there's, you know, clearer gains to be had in the, in the fourth downside.
0: Sure. Oh, I guess the last thing I'll ask about to get back to sort of your, your, your day job is I think, I think the thing that, that probably underlies a lot of my frustration here is the sort of the bias towards conservatism across sports Basically, you see, you know, in, in, in you know, fourth down in football took took people forever to learn to shoot threes in basketball, um, uh, not pulling the goalie, not playing f- like four forwards on power plays in hockey. And even in baseball, this is something that, that came up. I remember a couple of years ago I was reading Brian Kinney's book. And it's like the stat that jumped out at me is that like 90 percent of the time, players uh try to tag up and score on a fly ball from third base they're safe which means which pretty clearly means they're not trying often enough (laughs) i I would think um so is there is there equivalent you know in 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 kind of your your you know work life is there an equivalent sort of conservatism bias that 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 is sort of well known that is is hard to get past or is it a little more balanced between i guess over and under interventions or however else you might phrase it. Oh it it for sure exists um in the actuarial field
1: I think in general um actuaries are are known for being uh conservative um you know some of it I think is by design like their their role is to protect companies from risk and you know by your by the you know just the nature of that job description you're going to be conservative you're not going to you're going to want to make sure that you know you fall on the safe side more often than not. So um, that's you know that's a challenge you know in, in this industry as well. But you know there's there's risk to being too conservative as well in terms of um, you know you're on the health insurance side the your forecasts drive the prices you charge in the market, and if you're too conservative um your prices become unaffordable you lose membership you know people have to drop coverage there's there's risks to being conservative as well and so i think it's kind of understanding having like a true balanced view and not just kind of erring on like like lazy thinking in terms of like well it's always going to the worst case scenario is always going to come come to pass so i'm going to build my strategies and my forecasts around that so um the conservatism is definitely not unique to uh to sports analytics it's um you know something that you know is kind of baked into the the dna somewhat of actual uh, actuaries at times
0: though i i, I guess that uh, you could draw a distinction in that sort of the tail risk in 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 that field i think as we're as we're entering you know we're we're closing in on three full years of tail risk essentially um you know in a in a sporting context it's like you lose a game versus so the the like you know you know what the ultimate downside is in in sports a little more, which almost makes it more maddening but the, you know, <laughs> the the conservatism bias because like you don't know, like you don't really actually know what the worst case scenario is, but it's pretty bad in in like like a health setting
1: i I think that's a great point, yeah, I think sometimes I think people will try to take that type of risk thinking that you know actuaries or you know hedge funds- managers try to manage and apply it to um sports decisions but like you said like you know within a game your stakes are known like you're betting one chip and you know you're just trying to to maximize the value of that chip and the most you can lose is that one chip you put on the table so it's it's a very different type of risk calculation where you know your downside is unlimited or leads to to ruin so
0: well cool. Well I appreciate you you both uh jumping on with me tonight and uh and being you know and, and fitting it around the uh the NBA schedule a little bit. Uh we're we're a little bit into the third quarter of the game now, so I uh thanks folks for listening. Thanks, Mike, for joining me. And uh I'm back on Thursday with uh with Howard Beck to talk about uh his part in, in Sports Illustrated's new book on the uh on, on the Lakers, which will be great time for me as, you know, growing up as a Celtics fan. Love to talk about the greatness of the Lakers. Um, Anyway, uh, thanks again for joining me, Mike. Uh, Thanks, folks, for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Great.
1: Thanks, Seth. It was a lot of fun.